0: This is the American Association of Orthodontists, the Business of Orthodontics Podcast, Episode 21. I'm Pam Paladin. Welcome. Today's podcast will have two segments. In segment one, AAO General Counsel Kevin Dillard and AAO Associate General Counsel Sean Murphy. We'll share information about online reviews that could come to the attention of the Federal Trade Commission. In Segment 2, Kevin and Sean will fill us in on releases and waivers that are available to AAO members offered as part of members' benefits packages. We'd like to make it clear to our listeners that this is not to be deemed or considered legal advice. And any orthodontist or orthodontic staff taking any action that can have legal significance or consequence should always consult the practice attorney. Let's welcome both Sean and Kevin to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Hello, Pam. Glad to be here.
0: Thank you. Sean, many of today's consumers are looking at online reviews as they're making their purchasing decisions, and these kinds of reviews have the potential to make or break businesses, and even those of healthcare providers like our member orthodontists, can you tell us and uh, talk a little bit about the uh, Federal Trade Commission reviews of uh, of these kinds of practices? And are you seeing more FTC reviews?
1: Definitely, Pam. In the recent years, the FTC has really scrutinized online reviews and social presence for companies and products more so than they have previously. So there's definitely rules and best practices that any business would want to abide by. If orthodontist can make sure that their online presence is compliant and not running a foul, they can sleep easy at night knowing that they'll never be subject to an investigation.
0: So are, are some of the things that the FTC has been looking at uh, relative to paying for positive reviews?
1: Yes, that's one of the biggest categories that they're really putting their analysis on. If a product online is uh, reviewed, and a lot of times it's by just a member of the general public, and that member of the general public gets payment, the FTC wants in their review some disclosure of the fact that they've been paid to give that review. And payment doesn't always mean you know cash or a gift card. It can also be a discount on the product or if the product's offered for free. So in the terms of an orthodontic practice, if an orthodontist at the end of treatment ask patients to run you know fill out a review or complete a review online and in exchange that orthodontist will give his or her patients an electronic toothbrush then those patients reviews should include the fact that they were given an electronic toothbrush to give the review that would be a best practice
0: are there limits in paying for reviews
1: Yes, there's definitely limits in the, in the extent of it can apply even to discounts. It can apply, like I said, if they're given a product. It can apply if they're given a refund. If at the end of a treatment, an orthodontist says, look, I'd really appreciate the review and it seems that I might even be willing to give you a refund if you give a review, it should be included in that review that the patient was offered a refund in exchange for providing the review.
0: You know, as a potential reviewer, I'm not sure I'd want to do that.
1: Well, and that makes sense. Again, this is the best way to protect the practice. The FTC's whole mission here is to make sure the consuming public is not confused or there's not any misunderstanding when they read a review as to knowing the basis for that review. So what Kevin and I always advise orthodontists that call and ask about how they should encourage online reviews or online media presence for their practices. It is to just ask your patients to provide a review. Don't ask them to provide a positive review. Ask them, you know, at the end of treatment, especially for the patients that the orthodontist is pretty confident that that patient had a good experience, say simply, my business Definitely depends on my internet presence. If you could help with that, that would be great by filling out a review. Don't offer them a refund. Don't offer them a discount. Don't offer them
2: electric toothbrush. Just make it as simple as that.
0: Kevin, I see you shaking your head yes.
2: Absolutely. I would emphasize the fact that pay attention to the spirit of what this regulation and law is trying to say and and don't try to get around things. In other words, don't try to pe- don't try to be cute with it. Uh, you can't offer, for ex- for example, extended payments without interest for those who give good reviews, as opposed to paying interest or something like that. So it's it's the spirit of the law that you need to to pay attention to, so you don't get into trouble.
0: So it's okay to solicit reviews. You just can't ask about the content or tone of the review.
1: Yes, you shouldn't request only positive reviews. You should allow them to make a review that they would want to make. In addition, if there's any material connection between you and the reviewer, that should also be disclosed to the public. If it's one of your staff members that is reviewing you as an orthodontist and the staff member is a patient, the FTC is of the mindset that the consuming public, again, would want to know that that staff member is a staff member. So, Again, in the review, they can include, you know, I really enjoy Dr. So-and-so. They provide great orthodontic treatment. Not only am I a patient, I'm also a staff
0: member. Well, in terms of reviews, there's something that, that I've experienced in taking member calls over the years uh, from time to time, and that is someone who has posted a negative review or even a false review claiming to have been treated by an orthodontist, panning the, the treatment that they got when, in fact, this person was never was never a patient. What do you do in those cases, whether it's a negative comment or whether it's an absolutely false assertion of, of being a patient and being treated?
2: Yeah, Pam. Well, this is, you're right. I think we're seeing an increase in this kind of thing. Unfortunately for our members, the, the spirit of this law really is intended to help consumers. It's not so much intended to help the healthcare practitioner. So the law is skewered. The regulations are skewered in favor of free speech for the consumers. Now, when it comes to just blatantly false uh, reviews, sometimes these review sites allow anonymous postings. And even if they don't allow anonymous postings, it's it's presumably easy enough to be anonymous anyway by creating a fake email or something like that. Now if it if there are things in there that are demonstrably false that you can that you can prove are demonstrably false you can have your attorney write a letter to the review site and request that that site take that review down. We've had middling success with getting that done. Usually these sites couldn't care less and they have too many of these complaints coming in to uh, devote somebody to look into the merits of any particular comment. So a lot of times unfortunately we're out of luck. Now, this is something that we have looked at over the years in potentially changing laws or statutes, regulations, even at the state level, to give the doctors a little bit more protection in this regard. But again, the the First Amendment is pretty strong in this area. Courts have upheld anonymous reviews for any various different types of businesses. Now, that said, let's say that you can identify a patient. And this identifiable patient has posted a negative complaint about you. Sometimes they do this for various motivations. Sometimes it's just they, they feel like you have wronged them. They feel like they didn't get a good result and they want the world to know. Sometimes, and I don't want to be cynical, but I think this is the case. I think sometimes you have a patient who got a decent result or even a, a, an excellent result, but they want a refund from you or a, a discount for treatment or something like that. And they put that negative comment on up there to go back to you to have leverage to say, I'm going to leave this up there until you give me X number of dollars. That if you can, if you can get them to, to admit something like that in writing, that can be extraordinarily valuable in the absence of that. If they say something demonstrably false, for instance, Dr. X extracted my teeth and now I'm deformed. If you didn't extract their teeth you can go back to that person and say, you're either going to remove that or I can sue you for defamation because you are damaging my reputation, which is one of the most valuable business assets that I have. People are looking me up, my my assets and my valuation is tied to how many new patients I can get in. And patients are only going to come to me if they get good referrals and if they believe that I have a good reputation to provide them an excellent result. So if a patient or somebody says something demonstrably false that you can actually prove, then you can... Ask them or even have your attorney to send them a letter saying you need to to pull that because, and if you don't, I'm going to potentially look at options to go after you for commercial defamation, damage to my reputation that, that I can attach a monetary value to. So those are your two options. Keep in mind if they just say, you know, is a terrible staff, uh, he the doctor's a rude person. I didn't like the place. it was the the staff, the office was was dirty, and I wouldn't never even send my dog to this place. That's all opinion. There's not a whole lot you can do about it other than try to make it right with the patient. And maybe that patient is looking for some other thing that you can maybe they just need a human touch. Maybe they just need you to call them and say, Perhaps I haven't heard you. Perhaps you've made these complaints in the office. They haven't filtered up to me. Let's let's talk to me. Come into the office. Let's sit down and try to understand what's wrong here so I can make experience for future patients even better.
0: That's some great information. Sean, I'm going to go back to you. If you would kindly just give us a recap of, of best practices and what members need to keep in mind relative to online reviews. Sure, Pam.
1: One of the best things an orthodontist can do to make sure when they do get a negative review, and we don't want that, of course, to happen to any of our members, but it does happen, is to make sure they have a lot of positive reviews that, uh, again, insulate the negative review or make it apparent to those looking at that online review site that the negative review is an outlier. So it is fine for an orthodontist to ask patients to review the practice, again, That ask shouldn't be an exchange for anything of value, and it shouldn't be only a request of, please give me a review if it's positive. If it's not going to be a positive review, then please don't review me. That's a best practice. You can request reviews. You can't do it for money. You can't only ask for the positive reviews. I think the other thing to keep in mind, if there's any material connection that an average person would want to know In the review, make sure it's stated. So if you have a staff member you're treating as a patient, ask your staff member, look, if you're going to give a review, that'd be great. Again, you're not going to force a staff member to give you a positive review. Hopefully they would. But say, please, in your review, disclose the fact you're a staff member. I'd appreciate that. And that way, down the road, I don't have to worry about someone claiming that I violated some regulation or law.
0: Great advice from Sean Murphy and Kevin Dillard from the AAO's legal department uh, with information about online practices that could lead to attention by the Federal Trade Commission and best practices on how to avoid that kind of attention. Stay tuned for segment two of our podcast after this word from our sponsor.
2: Hi, this is Darren Bottomire, owner of DynoFlex. Our core values here at DynaFlex are quality products with on-time delivery and the highest level of customer service in the industry. DynaFlex is a rapidly growing, multifaceted company with divisions in orthodontic product manufacturing, orthodontic laboratory services, 3D digital services, as well as snoring and sleep apnea appliance manufacturing. Visit us at DynaFlex.com to learn more. Thank you for the opportunity to serve your practice.
0: This is Pam Paladin, and we're back with Segment 2 of Episode 21 of the Business of Orthodontics podcast. Kevin Dillard, AAO's General Counsel, and Sean Murphy, AAO's Associate General Counsel, are back here to tell us about a member benefit that may not be familiar to everyone, and those are the free releases and waivers available in the Legal and Advocacy section of AAOinfo.org. We'd like to make it clear to our listeners that this is not to be deemed or considered legal advice. And any orthodontist or orthodontic staff taking any action that can have legal significance or consequence should always consult the practice attorney. Kevin and Sean, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Pam. Thanks, Pam.
0: So we have a whole bunch of different topics of waivers and releases, and uh, let's talk about some that may be particularly applicable in the summertime as people are moving and they may need to transfer records. What, what Kevin, mm-hmm. what kinds of responsibilities do members have?
2: Yeah, we do see an increase in transfers, transfer requests in the summertime just because families are moving before the new school year begins and whatnot. And a common question is, if a patient is midway through treatment or even completed treatment at any point in time, and they come to you and say, or or another orthodontist request their records on their behalf, or the patient requests their records, the question is, do you ever have the ability to withhold those records? And the answer is no. Even if the patient is behind in their account, those medical records are their property. Now, you can charge a reasonable duplication fee, and that duplication fee can include not only the actual physical cost of the copies that you have to make, but also the staff time that goes into copying those records. So, you know, if it takes two people 15, 20 minutes of their time, you can kind of calculate rough rough estimate and then charge that to the patient. You don't have to charge it to the patient, but you can. So the answer is you have a duty to provide those records to the patient at their request.
1: And one thing I'll add, Pam, as Kevin said, yes, an orthodontist can charge a reasonable fee for the duplication of records. If though you have a patient who is potentially not happy with the treatment outcome or indicating that they might be going to speak to a lawyer or they might bring an action to the dental board, I always advise probably in that case, not a best time to push for, we'll give you your records, but we're going to charge you a duplication fee. Sometimes that can be like pouring gasoline on a fire. In those instances, it might be best just to give them the records if they say, I'm not paying the duplication fee.
0: But you're talking about actually duplicating records. I'm assuming then that the orthodontist needs to keep the originals?
1: Always. An orthodontist should never give up the original records. Anytime they hand records over to a patient or transfer records to another practice, that should be a copy of the records.
0: Well, something else that might come up in a summertime scenario might be someone who is moving and they've decided that they just want to have their braces removed altogether. Is there a form of some kind that uh, deals with, with that situation?
2: There is, Pam. It's called uh, the Release and Waiver, subtitled Premature Removal of Appliances. And by the way, our standard disclaimer as relates to this entire discussion is that our forms are sample forms. They're not intended to be any kind of guarantee that they're 100% valid in your state or locality. So always check with your own practice attorney in your state to make sure that these forms are, are valid. Now, that said, feel free to take these forms to your attorney so that they can validate them so you're not paying extra time for them to create something when you already have a pretty good basis. That said, yes, premature removal of appliances. Any time that treatment ends before the natural conclusion of the the treatment plan, there's always a risk that the patient is going to be not happy for whatever reason, or they're going to have relapse, something like that. It's obviously you're ending it prematurely. If it's at their request, we have this release and waiver, and basically what it says is that the doctor's recommending that the Appliances stay on. And it's the patient or the patient's parent or guardian that is requesting the removal. And so you're saying, you're having them sign this saying, I'm going to remove them, but I'm also telling you there are risks to removing the braces or appliances, whatever they may, trays, stopping treatment, uh, whatever that may be. And that the patient accepts the risks risks of the removal, the premature removal. So that's really what that's about. It's just making it clear, documenting the fact that the treatment is not complete, and it's the patient's request that the that the treatment is stopped.
1: And if possible, with that premature removal of appliances, release and waiver, Pam. We also suggest that if an orthodontist has a patient who, let's say, they're terminating because the patient has poor oral hygiene or they're missing appointments or. They're not financially on the same page with the patient in terms of the patient has fallen into arrears. At the same time, if they're able to get that release and waiver signed when they remove the appliances, that, that would be best so we recommend it in those instances as well.
2: And there are certain instances that may if it if it is somewhat contentious or you see because it is bad hygiene something like that, it never hurts to add additional language onto this release and waiver that is specific to that patient, saying that if you don't continue treatment, it will be detrimental. That's especially relevant if their surgeries happening or you're holding spaces open and they insist that the appliances are removed. Or if there's bad hygiene, I think it's it's worth it, as Sean alludes to, to put in there that you need to get the hygiene issues fixed or you're going to have other problems. So feel free to customize these. It's actually probably best to customize these releases and waivers to those patients.
0: Another of the releases and waivers that we offer has to do with mouth guards, which is a topic close to my heart because <laughs> we do National Facial Protection Month every April and suggest that people wear mouth guards. What is our release or waiver regarding mouth guards?
2: Obviously, if somebody, if, a, if a child or a, an athlete is coming to you for a mouth guard, it's probably because they're going to be in some kind of contact sport, either soccer, football, basketball, baseball, something like that, where the risk of injury is is you're probably more likely to be injured playing one of those sports than playing video games or something like that. So this is an acknowledgment that those kind of injuries are more likely to happen in those instances. And this release is intended to say that we're providing this mouth guard to you, but the wearing of the mouth guard can't prevent injuries from still occurring. The intent there is obvious. You know, this is this is sort of like the, the warnings on ladders, that it doesn't uh, prevent you from falling, even though they have some safety guards on it. A, a kind of a sneaky area where orthodontists can get into liability unexpectedly is when they agree to provide team mouthguards to folks who to, to to kids who are not their patients, if they bring those athletes in and fit those athletes for a mouthguard, even though they are not their patients, most states would recognize the fact that that began a doctor-patient relationship, even just for the limited case of fitting the mouthguard. You may and you need to check to make sure that you at that point are not liable to diagnose anything you would normally diagnose if it's a new patient for orthodontic treatment. So in other words, you may be liable to diagnose gum problems, malocclusions, even even throat cancer and oral cancer, that kind of thing. So that's sneaky. Sometimes it's a better way. I often tell folks, tell our members, if you want to do something like that, write a check to the local football team or the local team, whatever, and say this is going towards the purchase of over-the-counter mouth guards or something like that and then, and then, have them recognize you as a patron of that sport. That's another way to exonerate yourself or absolve yourself of, of that kind of liability.
0: Well, you uh, kind of answered my question. Then I was going to ask if if the waiver replies uh, to just customized mouth guards. Custom made or custom fit, or but it, apparently it does re- apply to over the counter versions as well that an orthodontist might fit to a patient.
2: Yeah, it would apply. It would apply to all. If if the athlete is getting the mouth guard from you, if you're providing it to them, then it's always a good idea to have this waiver signed. Just just making sure that you've documented the fact that they understand that it doesn't still mean they're not going to get an injury simply because they're wearing a mouth guard, whether they bought it, whether you buy it at a local sporting goods shop and then resell it to them, or if you're custom fitting it.
0: There's one more uh, release or waiver that we're going to talk about, and it has to do with mutual non-disclosure, which sounds like a very legalistic term. <laughs> what is this one all about?
2: Yeah, we'll, we're, we'll switch gears uh, from doctor-patient relationships to doctor-doctor relationships. Really, this is intended, and we see an uptick over the summer for whatever reason in, in interest in this. It's when you are advertising your business for sale, or if you're if you were searching for an associate, or if you're on the other side of that, you're looking to be an associate, or you're looking to buy an existing business. Obviously, the if you're the selling doctor, you don't want to turn over all of your information, your accounts uh, receivable, accounts payable, all of your expenses and all of that, just to have the person who's taking it go and shop it around and say, well, this doctor is paying this for that, you know, why can't I get the, the same deal? What this is acknowledging is that if you are seriously looking at buying into a business, that seller is going to want to say, I will show you my books, I will show you a lot of my information, but you're going to keep it Secret. You're going to keep it confidential so that you can't go out and hurt me with the competition. And it works, you know, for both sides. So it's, that's why we call it a mutual non disclosure agreement. If you're the seller, you then can't take what the associate says to you what they're willing to pay to buy into your practice or, or something similar. And if it falls through and you harbor a grudge against them, it's protecting them from you going out and putting on a message board to your local study group and saying, hey, look out for this doctor. He's willing to pay this, so you could probably get a better deal out of him if he pays something less. So it, it, it protects both sides without binding people into a financial agreement. So you're not asking them to put any kind of down payment or anything like that to, to hold on to it. It's just saying we're exchanging promises to keep what we tell each other in this context Completely confidential.
0: Releases and waivers can be downloaded by members from aaoinfo.org. They're posted in the legal and advocacy section. And that's a wrap for episode 21 of the AAO's The Business of Orthodontics podcast. Thanks to Kevin Dillard, AAO's general counsel. And Sean Murphy, AAO's Associate General Counsel, for filling us in on releases, waivers, and things to keep in mind when it comes to online reviews. Join us for future podcasts as AAO experts explore questions and issues that are important to you in your orthodontic practice. If you have subject areas you'd like addressed on a future podcast, please email them to info at aaortho.org or call 800 424 2841. This is Pam Paladin. Thanks for listening to the Business of Orthodontics podcast, episode 21.